Building to COP. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Today, we are joined by Audrey Nugent. As Director of Global Advocacy, Audrey leads the World Green Building Council's advocacy and policy work, collaborating with green building councils around the world to champion ambitious and innovative public policies that drive the systemic change needed in the built environment. Hello, Audrey. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Given the fact that COP28 is imminent, we'd like to discuss the Building to COP coalition. Please could you tell us a little bit more about what the Building to COP coalition is? So essentially, the Building to COP coalition, we are a group of sustainability-focused built environment NGOs and organisations, and we're working together alongside the UN high-level champions. And our collective goal is to put the built environment front and centre at COP so that we are catalyzing the needed change in our sector. And the reason for that is because of the huge impact that the built environment has, not just on carbon emissions, but on resource extraction and many other social impacts. And we have felt in the past that perhaps the built environment hasn't had the profile it could have at COP. So what we're doing is working together to ensure that it does going forward. Audrey, I think that's absolutely right that the built environment up until now hasn't really had this centre stage position. It should. And as you say, all the work you're doing around making that centre stage a COP is really important. Are there any kind of central aims that Building to COP Coalition has for this forthcoming COP session? I think overall our aims are, you know, we were formed in 2021 in the lead up to COP26. And the reason we came together then was to actually call on the UK government to really put buildings on the centre stage and as an official theme of the presidency. And we were successful in that call to action to the UK government. And we continue that work at COP27 in Egypt. And now our goal is really on COP28. And this is really important because COP28, we feel this is a pivotal year for the global process when it comes to climate. It marks the first time that we've done a global stock take, which is essentially a sense check on what our progress is looking towards in terms of the goals of the Paris Agreement. And that's not just progress in terms of countries, but also progress across industry. So all of the actions and initiatives that are taking place to move towards the goals of the Paris Agreement, we're now going to see a sense check on what that looks like. And unfortunately, we've gotten a bit of a sneak peek of what that progress looks like in September from a synthesis report that has been published on the global stock take. And that is confirming that we are still off track. But what it does confirm is that there's a key role for the building sector to play in closing that gap. And that's what we want to come to COP28 with the messages that the building sector is here and that we're ready to respond and that the coalition and the members of the coalition and their members are really working hard to deliver the solutions needed in the built environment sector. So at COP28, we have a specific day that will be looking at built environment alongside transport and multi-level governance. And what we want to do is to really amplify and showcase the solutions that exist within our sector on that day, but also ensuring that there's also the negotiated outcome that we're going to be looking forward to at COP28. What are we going to be seeing there? And we really want to be seeing adequate 
recognition and profile giving to buildings in that negotiated outcome. So looking at things like energy efficiency, how can we move that forward? How can we address things like whole life carbon, looking at embodied emissions and also the resilience piece. And we're also very much looking forward to at COP28, the launch of something called the Buildings Breakthrough. So I think for us, really looking at what are the outcomes in terms of the global stock take? How is the built environment responding to that? How is the coalition responding to that? And then also the buildings breakthrough as well as a kind of delivery mechanism to respond to the global stock take. Those are the key things that we're going to be looking at. So Audrey, you mentioned the global stock take. Are you able to share with our listeners any results of the assessment of the global progress in any more depth or detail? Yeah, so in September, there is a synthesis report on the global stock take that was published. And the kind of high level message that isn't going to surprise anyone is that the world is off track to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. All of the collective initiatives and actions that are being taken by parties and non-party stakeholders, despite their level of ambition, collectively, we're still not getting there in terms of closing the climate gap. And one of the things that We were excited to see in the global stock take, despite some of it being a bit disappointing, was the fact that buildings was recognised and called out as a sector that could potentially close the gap in terms of the emission gaps that exist. But also the global stock take speaks to sectors where that can offer cross-cutting solutions. And that's exactly what the built environment sector can do. We have quite a fragmented supply chain, but with the Building to Cop Coalition and the work that we're doing, we're bringing together that fragmented supply chain to close that gap. So the global stock take is slightly alarming. Within the next seven years, the global economy needs to reduce emissions by 45%. So that's quite an ambitious achievement. But one thing the global stock take will point to is what countries will need to do in 2025 to update what's called their nationally determined contributions. So under the goals of the Paris Agreement, countries are required to submit um, NDCs. And those NDCs are essentially action plans on how a country is going to reach what they have agreed to under the Paris Agreement. So what we would want to see at the conclusion of the global stock take is some signposting to where action is needed in NDCs so that countries hopefully leave COP with a a greater call to action and what they need to do in those NDCs and are more committed to greater ambition to close that gap. So we're excited to see that as part of the global stock take. And also we're very excited to see the launch of the building's breakthrough as another way to respond to the calls made in the global stock take as well. Audrey, I think the building's breakthrough would be really interesting for our listeners to hear about. So could you give us just a quick explanation of what that encompasses and what the plans are there as well? The building's breakthrough forms part of what is called the breakthrough agenda. And this was launched by 45 world leaders at COP26. And essentially, that's a commitment to work together in this decade to accelerate innovation and deploying clean technologies in high emitting sectors. So when it was launched at COP26, those sectors where there was kind of high level calls to action were power, road transport, steel, hydrogen and agriculture. And moving forward, last year at the COP27 Breakthrough Agenda Ministerial, the government of France and the Kingdom of Morocco reconfirmed their leadership and committed to moving forward with the buildings breakthrough. And at the time, the UK and Germany have confirmed support for that. And the buildings breakthrough, which is going to be launched in Dubai at COP28, 
the high-level statement or call to action calls for near zero emission and resilient buildings are the new normal by 2030. So the intention with that statement is to serve as a joint vision and a rallying point for all countries. And we're seeing, I think it's about 25 countries have now signed up since COP27. So we are seeing a lot of momentum there. And essentially what the Buildings Breakthrough does, it is offers governments a collaborative platform to respond to that global stock take by mobilizing international cooperation, unlocking action across the buildings and construction value chain. And there's also kind of a series of recommendations to move forward with action on buildings in the breakthrough report that was published in September, looking at standards and certification, demand creation, finance and investment and research and deployment, and also looking at capacity and skills. So at World GBC and the Building to COP Coalition, our colleagues there, we are really excited and very much supportive of the potential of the building's breakthrough because we see it as a turning point to unlock the systems transformation that's called for by the global stock take. So it's obviously about countries coming together, but obviously there's a huge role for non-party stakeholders, for industry, for the private sector to showcase how the actions that they are doing respond to the goals of that breakthrough. And at World GBC, we have two initiatives which are officially recognised as initiatives that support the demands of the Buildings Breakthrough. And those are Advancing Net Zero Programme and the Building Life Programme. And they sit alongside a level other initiatives from other members of the coalition, such as C40, WBCSD, who are also taking action and demonstrating how non-party stakeholders can deliver on the breakthrough. So that's going to be launched on the 6th of December in Dubai, the building's breakthrough. And we're very excited for the momentum that's going to create on buildings and what that means as we move into the last years of this critical decade of action, what can be done for the built environment. So I think that's going to be a really important turning point. We really look forward to watching and hearing the progress and how things develop on the 6th of December. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the Circular Built Environment Playbook. And I was wondering if you could tell us about the World Green Building Council's Global Circularity Accelerator Programme. World GBC, we have 77 Green Building Councils in our membership and they represent over 46,000 members globally. And what our Circularity Accelerator program does, it convenes that network to work towards our circularity and resource efficiency goals. So through the program, we are aspiring to create a built environment with net zero whole life resource depletion, working towards restoration of resources and natural systems within a thriving circular economy. And that's all in line with the ambitions of the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement. So achieving these goals requires transformative action from all stages of the built environment value chain. What we need to do is facilitate cross-sector collaboration. So with the Circularity Accelerator Programme, we are leading the creation and distribution of the necessary technical knowledge on the circular economy. We're actively upskilling our global network through training and education and also supporting regulatory ambition through political advocacy and also through the deployment of rating tools that many of our green building councils run. That's incredibly interesting. And for the benefit of our listeners, how would you describe a circular economy? Good question. So I think in a nutshell, a circular economy, which is circular, is based on the reuse and regeneration of materials or products with minimal waste. 
And the Ellen MacArthur Foundation state that is based on three principles, eliminate waste and pollution, circulate products and materials at their highest value and regenerate nature. So at World GBC, we say for the built environment, a circular economy should be implemented through the following four principles, which is reduction in consumption of materials and resources, optimization of lifespan for material and product use, design for reuse and the elimination of waste and the regeneration of nature. Audrey, I think all of those factors you've just said, they have such an obvious relevance for the built environment. But are there any particular reasons in your mind why it's so important to advocate for a circular economy in the context of the built environment? Yes, there's many, but there's three key ones I think that are, are top of mind for us at World GBC. So construction is leading to the depletion of the Earth's finite resources. Currently, the world is only 7.2% circular. That number has actually dropped in the last couple of years. And the built environment accounts for half of global resource use. So we have to do it. There's no other option. The second point is that greenhouse gas emissions resulting from the way the buildings and materials are produced, used and disposed of are actually causing unprecedented climate change and environmental damage. And then there's also the socioeconomic structures surrounding the extraction, trade, construction and use of material that are quite simply, in some cases, unjust. And we need to look at tackling forced labour and inequality at all stages of the supply chain must be tackled. So for us, the benefits of the circular economy and the environment, you know, it goes beyond just those carbon reductions by avoiding finite virgin resource extraction and maintaining materials in constant use. We're also preserving biological and ecological systems and also minimizing other environmental impacts like ozone depletion and acidification. Audrey, I think what you've drawn out so clearly there is that the built environment has such a huge contribution to make to the built environment. And in a way, there's a huge untapped resource there if people can mobilize themselves and put all those plans into action. In terms of practical steps, how do you think the circular economy can be implemented in the built environment? Great question and a difficult one to execute sometimes. But I think in terms of what are the practical steps, that's exactly what our Circularity Accelerator program is aiming to do. And what we see really is the need for a mix of public policy reform and a shift across the construction value change that needs to happen. So what does that mean in practice? So it might mean that product manufacturers are ensuring their products are reusable. They have a higher recycled content, for example. They're taking measures to ensure that the byproducts of construction end up being reused or recycled rather than entering landfill. We also want to see more incentivization for renovation in place of new builds where possible, because that's another way to ensure that we're minimizing unnecessary demolition. So there's many, many sort of practical steps that can be taken. If you kind of dive into our circular built environment playbook, we've outlined over 20 strategies in terms of implementing circular design and construction in the built environment with global past practice. We just actually need to make it happen, but we might need more policy changes and industry changes to support that. I think that's so right, Audrey. When you explain it, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense for the climate. It makes so much sense for the economy. I think it makes so much sense for individual projects as well. But in reality, as you say, we need those policy and industry changes to have that widespread adoption. If you could have your kind of wish list of what you think is needed in terms of those policy or industry changes, what would they be? So I think... The proper adoption of circular economy principles, it requires a strong policy framework that establishes regulation 
which is then implemented across the value chain. At World Green Building Council earlier this year, we published our global policy principles for a sustainable built environment that sets out policy recommendations that should be prioritised by local governments across seven key areas related to the built environment, one of which is circularity. Um, and in the policy area related to circularity, we lay out a range of recommendations, which include the introduction of limit values for primary material content and new built assets. Policies that encourage optimization of resources and materials like renovation, design for deconstruction. So you're thinking about it at the design stage, recovery of materials, modularity, waste separation and recycling, and also regulations which remove barriers to secondary materials entering the market. I think that is a, a really important one to discuss and dive a bit more deeper into. And then there's another part of this, which is about data availability, which is a problem that comes across in many sectors, including the construction sector. But really, data availability is really an important component of facilitating more circular approaches in construction. So we really want to see governments mandating provision of information covering key circularity indicators at both the building and the product level. And another one that comes up in conversation, which I always find really interesting because it's an obvious one, but maybe it's one that isn't obvious if you don't think about it. But when you're talking about reusing materials at scale, like we're talking about, there's also the need to create more local storage facilities and that you have a local supply chain for these. So that's another important element of the circular economy that we also need to be thinking about. But what we have with the circularity accelerator and the policy work that we're doing is we're now seeing our GBCs work alongside us at World GBC to implement those principles. So hopefully the next time I speak to you, that 7.2% of the world being circular, we'll be seeing a kind of a shift in a more positive direction because I really think we have to really move forward on this agenda if we're going to close the emissions gap. Absolutely, Audrey. I think I really hope the next time we chat to you on this podcast, we can nudge those positive figures up and show that there's been a bit of change. But I think you've brought out so well there that the practical information that's out there from World GBC and the help that's there if people want to educate themselves on this topic, but also I think the real need for people to do so, because of course, everyone is up against the clock on nudging those figures forward in the time that we need to. So thank you so much, Audrey. We know you're so busy in the build up to COP. We're really looking forward to hearing how you get on, of course, having you on a future podcast to hear how it all went. So thank you, Audrey, and thank you to our listeners as well. At 13 on Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars. 